Good morning. Good morning. morning. Welcome. Come on in. Find a seat. So glad you chose to worship with us today. It's going to be an awesome day, and I'm convinced that the Lord has great stuff in store for us. So let's just choose to open ourselves up to him today, whatever it is that he wants to accomplish in us and through us. Um, as you can see, there's a party that is going to happen after our worship time today. So I hope you have planned on uh, joining us for that party. And um, uh, we'll talk more about that at the end of the service. So two things that I want to make sure that we are aware of. This Tuesday night is Halloween night. We've got lots of kids and parents, families that are going to be out and about trick-or-treating. So we like to open up our parking lot for trunk or treat. I hope you have been uh, planning to join us for that. Um, we have not had a sign-up sheet, so we have no idea how many trunks we're going to be lining up. But I hope you will bring yours. And especially if you've got a cool car that you would like to show off. It's a great opportunity to do that. Connected to that, something that we're getting to add to that this year is we're going to be running a hayride. Golden Bell is bringing some stuff down to run a hayride on our property at the same time. So that's going to be another great attraction. Um, and so we're gearing up for that. If you were not planning on coming to the event but would like to donate candy we can always use more of that. We'll have plenty of trunks to throw that candy in to um, serve it out of. And also, we uh, like to do a bit of a chili cook-off. So if you have uh, chili that you like to make and would like to share with those of us in the church that will be here that night, please bring a pot of that with you, and we'll line all that stuff up and enjoy dinner together while we're ministering to our community so that's this coming Tuesday night, and you can see that that's running from 5 to 7 p.m. So I hope that you will come a few minutes early, especially if you're planning on getting your trunk in the lineup. We want to we make sure that we're ready for that. And then one other thing I want to make sure we're aware of, November the 19th, uh, Sunday, November the 19th, we will have a very special guest here, Jim Downing. Uh, I met with him, actually a few of us met with him earlier this week. I uh, did verify he's 104 years old. He is um, one of the two oldest survivors of Pearl Harbor attack. He was on the West Virginia when, um, when that event took place. Uh, he's written a couple of books, and he's, he's going to be here that morning to uh, speak to us. And I got to tell you, he has an amazing heart for the Lord. He's an evangelist. Um, he'll probably even share with us uh, some of the people that he's led to the Lord, some that you probably know. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be an amazing morning. So you want to plan on being here. Don't miss that. And, and if you have some people in your sphere of influence that you think that that would connect with them, they might be veterans uh, or, or something like that, and they don't have a church home, it's a perfect opportunity to invite them to church and to have them experience who we are as a church family, but also experience Jim's ministry in his heart uh, for the Lord and, and, and for America and for the hope that he has. And um, like I said, it's going to be a powerful time together, November the 19th, Sunday morning, okay? 
All right, why don't you stand with us, let's greet one another, shake a few hands around you, and let's join together in celebration. Good, 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 good morning. Welcome. Before we get started, does anyone know what today is? It is Sunday. Pastor appreciation, thank you. That's not it. Who said it? It is the fifth Sunday. Hey, calm down, calm down. Don't show your colors. So we're going to do some hymns this morning. We're going to do two. No, I'm kidding. And um, what I want to challenge us with this morning is... You know, there's some of us that we just heard it was hymn Sunday and, oh, I forgot not to come. And others are excited. And I think it's very American of us. It's very consumer of us to decide if we're really going to worship today based on the style of music. So what I want us to try to do is... I want you to really listen this morning and pay attention and ask the Spirit of God to speak a phrase or a word or a something to you today that's just for you. And at the towards the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to share what God is saying to you this morning through worship and through the sermon. So I want us to be intentional and I want us to be attentive to His Spirit and His voice today. Can you do that? Wow. I guess not. The front row can try to do that. Okay, well let's uh, just calm our hearts and our attention right now. And will you ask Him right now? To focus your mind, to forget about last week, to forget about what's coming this next week, and ask Him to speak to you. You do that now.
Father, we choose right now to give you this moment, to give you this time. We desire that you be exalted in our life, that we are all reminded that you are a king, and we are your people, that you are a shepherd, and we are the sheep. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and
God, bring the glory, great things he hath done, so loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go worthy of our praise and we honor you today not just with our lips we don't just honor you today with great songs of the church we honor you today with our lives with every aspect of who we are from the inside to the outside today is your day. It's all about you today, Jesus, who you are. It's about what you have done, and it's about what you are doing now in this moment and what you long to do. So we make a choice today to park ourselves in your presence. And we open up our hearts and our minds to whatever it is that you want to say to us what you want to accomplish in us 
even through us as we're gathered here in this space. We are your people called by your name. We humble ourselves at your feet. And it's in Jesus' mighty and powerful name we all pray today. And everybody said, And I want to invite our ushers to come join us up front as we prepare to receive our tithes and our, and our offerings. What a joy it is to bring our gifts to him. Jesus, you are our provider. And we honor you today for the provision that you have brought to us in our families and in our church family. And we thank you in advance for the provision that is coming. We ask that you take what we have to offer you today, use it, bless it, multiply it, accomplish your kingdom purposes with it. Build your church across the globe with it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And as we're doing this, I, I want to share one more announcement with us. Um, today we are officially live streaming uh, through our website. Um, so I'm just going to wave to those that are checking us out today, including uh, my moms. My moms that are in Oklahoma City and my mom that is in uh, St. Louis uh, and, and dads, they're, they're checking us out today. And so it's an exciting step for us because what it means is that um, if you have to be away, if you're sick, maybe um, uh, just not able to come with us, but, but you're at a place where you can access internet, you can join us live for our, uh, our worship times. And uh, that, that's a very exciting step for us. So that, that's officially started this morning. So what a, what a celebration. Um, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, I'll make a promise to you, we're not done worshiping, we're not done singing, um, so uh, we want to we celebrate at the end of, of, of our time together as well with, with a good amount of worship, so um, I'm preaching inside of it today, Hebrews chapter 12. We were in the first half of this chapter last week. I want to go ahead and read straight through it just to bring us our context again. And we're going to dig into the end of chapter 12 is communicating to us today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, 
so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everybody undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons, and not and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but... God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. This, this is not the mountain we're coming to, he's saying. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned, who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who wants us? from heaven at that time his voice shook the earth but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth but I will shake the heavens the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful 
and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Well, we got a whole lot happening in chapter 12. Now I remind us, the author has been making a very strong case that Jesus is Messiah. That the old covenant, the old system that had been installed by God himself, that, that, that Israelites had been functioning inside of for thousands of years, Jesus has fulfilled that. And in fulfilling that has initiated a whole new paradigm, a paradigm of grace. A paradigm where his shed blood became a sufficient sacrifice, solved the problem of the chasm of sin that, that humans had experienced, the chasm that existed between us and our Creator, between us and our Father, between us and God. Because once we sinned, we were, we were separated from Him, and that was not His desire. That was not what He longed for. That was not the plan that He wanted to have implemented for us. So he had to solve that problem himself. So Jesus, being God, crams himself into flesh, dwells among us, functions inside of this old paradigm, this old system, does so perfectly, fulfilling every aspect of it. And then upon his death, with his arms outstretched, makes the declaration, it is finished. And with his arms outstretched like this, he bridges the gap between the old paradigm and the new paradigm. Chapter 11 of Hebrews has this list of amazing names, but they're all names that, that lived and died prior to Jesus walking this earth, prior to Jesus' death on the cross. Yet his outstretched arms covered them just as much as it's covering us today. We're told in chapter 11 of Hebrews that these people by faith, that these people by faith, that these people by faith, that this person by faith, by faith, by faith, telling us, because the definition of the word faith is belief in Jesus Christ as Messiah. That's what that actual word means. So somehow Abraham by faith, somehow Moses by faith, all these names that were listed in, plus many others, that were not listed. Somehow they had faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah. Somehow they were looking to something that they could not cling to, that they could not touch with their own hands, that they didn't see with their own eyes. They were looking to, they were just on this side of the cross looking to what Messiah was going to do. Messiah accomplishes it. Now we're on this side of the cross, but we're covered by the same grace that they are. For our faith is no different than their faith. Even though we're on this side of the cross, even though Jesus has already hung on that cross, died on that cross, and has risen from the dead, his grace extends over us just as it extends over them. Our faith is the same. The writer has been making this profound argument about this 
And as he's finished making that argument, he now turns his words to us. It's application time. And chapter 12 tells us we're running this race. This journey of life is happening. And our eyes are to be fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the author and finisher of this thing called faith. And that we're to have our eyes fixed on him. That we're to consider him. That, that even, even in the times when we're struggling against sin, the, the, the hardest times, the most, the most tempting times, that we're to consider him who endured such opposition. That in fixing our eyes on Jesus, somehow, somehow it gives us hope, it gives us strength, it gives us the ability to overcome. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and that you will not lose heart. In your struggle, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And realize that our, that our context has been, has been what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so it might be that your, your initial picture here is Jesus' blood being shed on the cross. But I wonder if the author of Hebrews is actually pointing back a few hours before that, when Jesus was in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, it tells us that his prayer was so intense, the temptation was coming against him so intensely to not walk this out, to not, to not allow himself to endure this torture. The temptation was coming so strongly against him that his, his prayer was so intense that, that he, was, he had blood coming in his sweat. We have not, the author says, we have not struggled so much so in resisting temptation that we got to the point of shedding blood. It has not been that intense for us. As intense as it was for Christ himself, who endured such opposition. I mean, think about the opposition that, that, that he was enduring before he even surrendered himself into human hands. The battle that he fought against the enemy prior to even allowing himself to be arrested. That battle brought blood once he surrendered himself into the hands of men. We know what took place. We at least have some idea of the level of torture. Our struggle hasn't been like that. And then the writer encouraged us, so when we're struggling, when we're enduring such hardship, allow it to serve as a, as a, as a measure of disciplining us. Like a, like a father would discipline his children because of his love for them, allow our hardship to serve this way. But at verse 14, 
make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. So then he brings Esau into the whole story. He's been talking about Abraham. He's been talking about Moses. He's been talking about Jesus. And suddenly he's, he's talking about Esau. And when he speaks about Esau, he brings two different stories of Esau and he combines them into one story. They're two different events. When, when Esau sells his birthright to his brother Jacob, that, that, that is a singular event. Esau says, I'm starving, Jacob. Give me some of that stew. Jacob says, great. You can have a bowl of this great stew. Just give me your birthright. Well, what, what good is a birthright to me if I starve to death? You can have it. He just, it, Scripture says he despised the birthright. But then there's this other story. Later on, when their father is basically on his deathbed, he calls Esau in. He says, Esau, I want you to go out. I want you to kill some game. Prepare it for me. Bring me a meal because I want to give you a blessing, the blessing of of, of, the, of being the oldest son, this, this, it's attached to this birthright, but it's different. It's the blessing. Now, Esau has already despised the birthright, the, the right to leadership, the right to, to a double inheritance. That has already been given up. It's already been handed over to Jacob. But he's trying to get this blessing. Well, Jacob goes into deceiving mode while Esau's out hunting, accomplishing what father had asked him to do. Jacob comes in, puts on some fake hair on his arms and on his neck because Esau was real hairy, puts on some of Esau's clothes so that he would smell like Esau because at this point, dad is so old, he can't see anymore. And, there, and the story is of, of, of real deception. Jacob shows up on the scene, deceives his father, and his father gives Jacob the blessing that he thought was that he was giving to Esau. Now that's how the story unfolds, but look how the writer of, of Hebrews shapes it out. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. He brings the two stories together. Combining the, the, the rights that he had despised and the blessing that was robbed from Esau. You see, that blessing was given up as well. Jacob didn't have to deceive. Jacob didn't have to wind his way inside of the tent in deception. Somehow, 
Esau was going to get a different blessing. That blessing was for Jacob, period. Once Esau had despised that birthright, that blessing was going to be given to Jacob as well. Jacob didn't have to come in and steal it, is what I'm trying to say. The writer of Hebrews is, is framing this out that way. Now, he did what he did. And we don't celebrate that. But there's a point to all this that the writer is talking to us about. Temptation, engaging sin. If we, if we choose to fix our eyes on Jesus, we are empowered. We can be empowered to overcome. We don't have to be overcome by temptation and, and engage in, in sinful activity. When we do so, we begin to function or begin to look like Esau. In other words, we begin to hand over our rights as children born of God. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. There's a real tension. There's a real tension that exists. And, 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 and it really started exist. I'm guessing, but I'm assuming that that this tension really began to exist as soon as Jesus implemented this new paradigm of grace. And it's the, it's the tension that exists between legalism, a legalistic faith, and a grace-based faith. The writer of Hebrews has been speaking against legalism all the way through, moving us into a mindset of grace-based faith. But once he moves us in there, and once, once we get into this space and, and, and we're embracing grace, then he offers us warning. Be holy, he says. You see, the, the, the tension between these two paradigms is real, and it's something that we still feel today, that we still experience today. See, the, the, the legalist, the legalistic person wants to try to approach Jesus by what they have accomplished, by their, their, their merit. I crossed all the T's, I dotted all the I's, I've, I, I, I've offered up all the sacrifices that, that are necessary, I've done all my rigmarole, and now I can approach God, he will have favor with me. That's the legalist, the legalistic person. The grace-based person understands that Jesus accomplished it all. But the temptation for the grace-based person is that suddenly, because I'm saved by grace, I can do whatever I want. That, that, that life can 
I, I, can, I can keep on engaging in whatever it is that, 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 I, that I want to engage in. And I'm cool. I'm covered. The legalistic person focuses in on the boundaries focuses in on the parameters that are in place and, and functions in such a way that, that it is by abiding by the parameters, that's what gets them into God's favor, God's merit. The grace-based person assumes that there are no boundaries, that there are no parameters because grace has got it covered. But here is the tension. You cannot have a healthy relationship without some boundaries. Ask any married person. Male or female, ask any married person and they will tell you there has to be some boundaries in place. There has to be parameters in place to function inside of health. It's the only way to create space for trust, right? Just because I entered into a marriage covenant doesn't mean that I get to keep doing whatever it is I want to do as a man. When I entered into marriage covenant, things changed. My, my paradigm changed. I am not my own anymore. I belong to another. One other. And so the boundaries that are naturally framed out for me inside of my marriage... I respect them, and I adhere to them, and I do so for the purpose of maintaining health in my relationship with my wife. And it's not a legalistic thing. My approach inside of, of, of my healthy marriage has nothing to do with legalism. It has to do with maintaining a healthy relationship with her. It comes before us today as a, a really terrific picture about how we can allow the tension between legalism and between grace-based, do whatever you want to, that somewhere in the middle, both of them intersect one another and they create this really amazing environment where we are saved by grace, but we are functioning in a set of parameters that allow us to maintain health with our relationship with God. I sure hope that came across clearly. It's why the writer who has spent 11 chapters moving us, trying to push us out of legalism into grace-based reality, suddenly stops us in our tracks and begins to offer us warnings. Do not become like Esau. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up and, and causes trouble and defiles many. One thing I've learned about the legalistic person is that they tend to be quite bitter. They're bitter inside of their framework. And they allow that bitterness to just spoil their relationships 
And man, I've run into some, some of that big time. And that is, it, 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 it robs that person of their joy, the joy that Father has, the joy that Jesus has longed to pour out in them. And the writer of Hebrews is, 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 is encouraging us, get, get out of that paradigm, step out of that paradigm and into this, this space of grace. But when you finally do so, it, it, it's not a license to just live life however you want to live. You were bought at a price, he said. And yes, his grace is covering you. Yes, he, he is standing in the gap on your behalf, mediating, telling, standing before the Father saying, he's good, she's good, covered. But it's not a license to live life however. Because if we choose to live life however we want to live, we, 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 we are, we're not respecting the parameters of holiness that God has called us to. And he goes on to say this. Verse 18. It's an amazing picture. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what, what was commanded. What was commanded was even if an animal touches a mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. So he goes right back to Mount Sinai. Right back to the story where the Israelites were encouraged. They, they, had, to put, they had to put boundaries in place around this mountain. And no one was allowed inside of these boundaries. And these boundaries were just piles of rocks. And they were spaced out in, 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 in very particular uh, dimensions. And they, and they surrounded the mountain. And no one, no animal even that they owned was allowed to go inside of those, that boundary, those boundaries. Moses was the only one allowed in. And the, the writer is like, this mountain represents this whole, this whole paradigm that I've been talking to you about for the last 11 chapters. This is not the mountain that you were called to. This is not the mountain that Jesus is calling you to. That mountain is nothing but fear. That mountain was, was so scary that, that when God descended upon the top of that mountain and, 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 and there was storm clouds and there was thunder and there was lightning and there was a trumpet blast coming, it was so intense and it was so scary that the Israelites begged for God not to speak to them directly. Please, Moses, you go. Let God talk to you and you just, you just deliver us secondhand what God has told you. We, we cannot bear to hear God's voice ourselves. That was how terrifying this mountain was. And the writer's like, that, that's not what, is, what you're being called to. Instead, you've been called to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, 
to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, but then you've been called to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So don't refuse him who speaks, just like they did. This is not a, this is not a, a, a fear-based faith that we're being called to. It's pure faith in Jesus as Messiah, mediating for us, standing in the gap for us. We do not have to be afraid to come into this place of worship. So see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we? If we turn away from him who warns us from heaven, at what time, at that time, sorry, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. He's calling us into a paradigm where the earth and the heaven can be shaken by his power, by his awesomeness, by this, this all-consuming fire. But it's not something that has to be feared like it was in this paradigm. For even though God is judge, Jesus is mediator. God is still judge, but Jesus is mediating. And he frees us from this mountain and then moves us into this mountain, this paradigm that's filled with joy. When we worship, we join in with the angels, thousands upon thousands, crying out in joy and celebration of who God is and what he has done. The sacrifice that we offer is praise. He offered his life, and we offer him praise. That's the new covenant. It's a place of grace, yes. It's a paradigm of grace, yes. It's this space that was created by Jesus himself and what he accomplished, yes. But it comes with a framework. It comes inside of, with, 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 with the framework that when we move inside of this, we adhere to it. We function inside of the parameters because we want healthy relationship with him. Because we want to maintain health and our communion with him. Not because our good deeds or because our righteousness earns our way in. If you're taking on that mentality, you're functioning with the old mountain. 
It is by grace that we have been saved through faith, faith in Jesus as Messiah, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is what Ephesians tells us. And yet the paradigm that's in place calls us to a certain way of life, a certain way of functioning, a certain way. It, it's transformational. So we see to it that, that, that we maintain grace, that we don't allow the bitter root to come up, and that we don't live our lives like Esau, where as we're, as we're engaging sinful activities, we're, we're ultimately selling our, our, our birthrights for that, trading in that for, for just what, for, for a bowl of stew? I mean, when you think about it in the moment, when, when temptation comes your way, when temptation comes my way, Essentially, what we're being asked to do is stop and consider what, what, we're, what we're giving away, what we're, what we're selling. I mean, is the bowl of stew really that valuable? To risk birthright? To, to risk double portion of inheritance? Because listen to me, sin will hold you longer than you wanted to stay. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. And it will cost you more than you thought you'd have to pay. I'm gonna, and, and if you need to write that down, write it down. Because I know that there's one example after another coming to your mind about how this has been fulfilled in people's lives around you. Sin will hold you longer than you wanted to stay. It will take you further than you wanted to go. And it will cost you more than you thought you'd have to pay. What? Bowl of stew? Jesus, this message today, right out of chapter 12 of Hebrews, it turns the tables on us. We, we are a people who have embraced grace. We, we are a people who have, have uh, allowed the, the reality of, of grace-based faith to, to, to be um, who we are. For the most part, that has been true. Now, I realize that some of us maybe have struggled with legalism or we've, we've come out of legalism and it's been hard to move out of it into this grace-based mentality. But nonetheless, this, this is who we are. So we've acknowledged that, but you've, you've turned the tables on us because you have suddenly brought before us the, the, the importance of functioning inside of this new paradigm, the way that you have called us to function inside of it. That holiness is critical. That respecting 
respecting the, the parameters that you have put in place so that we can maintain a healthy relationship with you and ultimately a healthy relationship with one another. That's, that's what he said to us in verse 18. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. These, these are things that, th this happens when we are functioning inside of the parameters with health. And we acknowledge the tension because the, 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 the legalism tries to pull us back into the wrong concept, the wrong idea, the wrong starting point. It's not that our good deeds or our righteousness earns us a place in your kingdom. It never did and it never will. Your death on the cross solved that problem. Your shed blood solved that problem. So we move into a mindset of, yes, your grace has saved us. But inside of this place of grace, who we are, what we say, how we treat one another, the decisions that we make, function inside of a parameter of health. So that we can have health with you and health with one another. So we move away from the mountain of, of, of fire and, and of fear and we move to the mountain of Zion with joy, with celebration. It's a, it's a, it's a mountain of victory. Victory is ours because victory was yours. And we celebrate that today. We worship you today inside of that paradigm, inside of that reality. We do so now. Will you stand with us as we celebrate? Don't, don't stand yet. Oh, sorry. Our God is a consuming fire, a burning holy flame. Righteous judge ruling over us with kindness and wisdom. We will keep our eyes on you. We will keep our eyes on you. You are a mighty fortress is our God, a sacred refuge is your name, your kingdom, your kingdom is unshakable, with you forever we will reign, our God. 
that as our prayer this morning. That we will learn to fix our eyes. That we will learn to hold our attention on you. All that this world has to throw at us to get us off, to help to get us to look away, to separate ourselves from the spirit of the living God. Father, we ask this morning that you would help us to fix our eyes, to keep our eyes, to hold our eyes and our attention on you. You continue to speak to us that message for today. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I love
may be seated. I'm going to ask us to share your one word, your phrase, the the thing that God is kind of speaking to you this morning through song, through his scripture. It, it could actually be totally unrelated to anything you've heard. Spirit, will you continue to speak to us? I want to read now Psalms 145. I will exalt you, my God and my King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day, no matter what. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy and deserving of our praise. No one can measure His greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Does anyone want to just stand and proclaim what you've heard this morning? The first one's the hardest. And we... Grace-based parameters. Thank you. Holiness. His unshakable kingdom. Thank you. What did you say, Alicia? Holiness. Holiness. Anybody? Say it again. Holiness is health. Anybody else? He delights in you. Let the people rejoice. Does anyone notice they're all coming from this side of the room? Just just thought I'd throw it out there. God's grace is so amazing. Victory in His name. His teachings. Anything else? No need to fear. Amen. Because our God is an all-consuming fire. No need to fear. I will proclaim your greatness. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. That's us. And wonder how he could love me. A sinner condemned on Singing, how marvelous. 
your sin. You stand. Ladies, you sing. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Singing how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Singing, how wonderful, how wonderful, and my song shall end. Song. 
pass away to celebrate. One more time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Tell you what we want to do um, is uh, we want to get ourselves ready to continue our celebration with our dinner together today. So um, I want to invite um, Cindy Eller. She's representing. Uh, yeah, there you go. There's a microphone right there. She's representing some of our leadership today and just uh, kind of helping us get into pastor appreciation mode. So thank you, Cindy. My pleasure today to be able to uh, um, show our appreciation to our pastoral staff. So if our pastoral staff would come, please. Pastor Brian, Sarah, Todd, Michael, and Scott, if you please come up here. Come on, up here on the stage. you got to share it with me. <laughs> wow, look at this group that leads us. This is in no specific order, Todd. Okay, do you know he just threw in a song we hadn't practiced or hadn't seen or didn't know? <laughs> and we did it. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Don't we appreciate him leading our worship for us? <laughs> Pastor Scott, I haven't gotten to know you enough yet. I'm going to get to get to know him better. Uh, I don't belong to the youth group, I don't think so. So, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I like the hymns, <laughs> and, I, and, you, and you probably don't do hymns. But we're very glad to have him ministering with us and to see uh, how the youth is going to keep going like it had. And so, welcome. Thank you much. <laughs> Pastor Michael. Where's your costume today? Oh, it's, <laughs> oh, it's a Halloween. I thought you might have a costume. Anyway, we've appreciated him working with our youth over the last several years, and now he's moved uh, to the older group, so a little older, he, young adults. And so uh, we are glad to have him as a part of our church and hope he continues with us for a long time. Now, this is a special lady, don't we all think? Somebody who, somebody who puts up with our kids. Yeah. Puts up with you. Well, that's her problem, not mine. <laughs> uh, she really loves our kids, and it shows. And so we thank her very much for what she does for our kids. Thank you. Last but not least, Pastor Brian. I was trying to figure out this morning when I knew I was going to have to do this, 11 or 12 years. What is it now? 12 years. Wow. Do you know that in the Church of Nazarene, the average is three to four for a pastor to stay at a church? Aren't we privileged? Yeah. We do need to point out his new glasses. How are the new glasses looking? Progressives. Oh well, I got them about his age too. So, <laughs> if you want to, see, if you want to see, you just have to wear glasses. Or, I guess you can have your eyes fixed. Anyway, <laughs> digressing. 
we really do appreciate Pastor Brian and how he's led our church over the last 12 years. Um, wow, look what look where we are at today, and we know we're going to be going in the future with better things to come. Thank you. Thank you um, for allowing us the opportunity to serve here, serve you, and we just love doing life with you, and um, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to do that. Uh, we want to, I'm going to say a blessing over us and the food, and we're going to move as quickly as we can into lunchtime, and um, I know that some of us have shown up today ready to do lunch together, and other, others of us were like, wow, I forgot that was happening or wasn't aware. You're still invited, and like I always say, City Market's just a couple of blocks away. You can run and get something and be back in about 10 minutes, no problem, um, especially if you were thinking fried chicken. It, it's uh, totally appropriate for today, yes. So, um, and I know that uh, Peter has got a, a gang of people ready to help get tables set up over here, so thank you for that. So let me say a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. May he fill you with his peace, and may he bless our lunch today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, thank you.